Hey, Saxon here. Um, just a quick note before the show that this show is a little shorter than normal. Sam and I originally recorded the show with the intention of, with the intention of it being a bonus episode, but with both of us uh, being in school, Sam finishing up his PhD and me in grad school, uh, life kind of caught up to us a little bit. So apologies for it being shorter than normal, but we will be back next week with a full-length episode. Okay, enjoy this bonus and not-so-bonus episode. Welcome to another episode of Money for Nothing, the podcast about music and capitalism. Sam has demanded that we record and talk about the sudden popularity of Don Henley's Boys of Summer as featured in the show Seinfeld. Actually, just kidding. We're talking about Kate Bush's <laughs> writing up that hill. <laughs> so labored. That joke was so labored. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that's the third time Saxon's tried that bit. We're going to go with it because it's the we're going best with it. done. <laughs> no, no, no. We're, we're gathered here to talk about uh, what basically Sam's entire life and thesis is about and what I absolutely loathe, and that is pop culture. So, uh, <laughs> yes, if you... If you've been stranded without an internet and a phone for the last couple of weeks, uh, just to fill you in, Running Up That Hill, Kate Bush's hit from 1985, I believe. 1985. Kate Bush's hit from 1985 is charting and suddenly popular because it has been featured in a very important scene, as I'm told. I've seen the scene, but I don't watch the show of uh, Stranger Things. And But we're not going to talk much about that. We're going to talk about how interesting it is that a song from 1985 is charting and it felt like it kind of related a lot to some of the things that we've been talking about um in the last couple episodes actually so sam um since i absolutely hate pop culture uh you want to go ahead and take this one yeah so basically it's not just charting right it's was it went from nothing to the number one global hit number one uk chart hit it's the um both the longest ever gap in time between (laughs) number one hits for an artist and and what is probably going to be an unbeaten record the number one longest time between a single being released (laughs) and it hitting number one (laughs) something like right uh, because it didn't hit number one when it originally came out no it didn't hit number one when it first came out it did chart it did chart it was a hit but not not a massive hit and basically i mean again if you you live anywhere adjacent to the internet, like you're probably aware of this, uh, the massive Netflix like television show, but at this point, like recurrent movie series, basically, like those episodes are all ninety minutes long. <laughs> They're like it's basically several movies that just kind of get released through Netflix. Stranger Things features uh, the Kate Bush song um, really heavily both as, like, part of the soundtrack, but more importantly, like, I think in terms of just, like, the intensity of the push, like, as a plot point, it's set in the 80s. One of the characters, it is her favorite song. It plays an important role within the actual plot of the story. So it's kind of a, a different, you know, this is not, like, a, 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 a soundtrack moment. It's more like the classic Wayne's World driving around listening to bohemian rhapsody moment where like they are all actually they're not just like it's not the soundtrack that we hear it is they are actually singing bohemian rhapsody and similarly characters in the show are actually listening to running up that hill parentheses a deal with god 
and so yeah so basically like we we actually covered we've been uh, had two episodes really about the ways in which music you know in which the, the, the kind of the temporality of music has seemed to be fraying in ways both like interesting and complicated and good and bad and we didn't want to do a whole third episode about it that felt like overkill but i thought it was worth worth taking a minute to like just talk about like this is crazy right to have a number one hit come from nowhere to be like up against like lizzo and harry styles and jack harlow on the billboard charts to have this like song not remixed not sampled not interpolated but like the full song from 1985 with the 1985 synths that has like been has gone through an entirely different set of promotional circuits and because of the way we think about the charts and because of the way we think about music consumption because of the way those things are paid out in this moment is like <laughs> it's it's functionally the same and and that seems different to me yeah in some ways i feel like that we should have seen this coming because it really in a sense the popularity of, of this song is mimicking what I guess you can term as the TikTok effect, where basically songs that were released, let's say a long time ago, a couple of years, couple you know, like ago, are suddenly becoming like popular and then charting or breathing new life into a band and you know helping their career along or whatever. And th- but this is just happening on like such like a like a bigger scale um, because you know one it just came out so long ago and then also because it's being featured in a television show. I think that we probably should have seen this coming and in a way it, it kind of isn't surprising yeah. because we've kind of been seeing this like sort of bubbling up around like TikTok. And I think that also it's probably creating a new formula where you're going to start to see like a lot of these studios try to mimic the success. And then it's interesting because you're probably also going to see uh, Wang Chung try to get their song into like some like television show <laughs> to <laughs> I mean, Dance Hall Days is a kind of a banger. I mean, like... I don't know what I I'm like trying to think of a television show it could be on but since I know little about pop culture uh, I don't know can you get Wang can you get like Wang Chung's Dance Holidays in like a in a uh, a montage for like the next Marvel movie I'm just saying think about it yeah no I mean you, I think you are right like that this is a lot like the kind of TikTok effect that we've seen um, and in all of those cases I think what's interesting about this is it's like and and this is what TikTok does too right it it, it takes a song that kind of had one context and recontextualizes it, right? Like it, it gives it a purchase. It gives it a purchase in the present and it allows listeners to kind of like have a relationship to the song in the present in often like a, a very different juxtaposition, a very different cultural context. So like in TikTok, that's like a joke or a dance or something where all of a sudden the song is old, but the conversation is new. And I think in, in a similar way that like the way it's featured in this, you know, this massively popular, like basically like it's not described online as kind of like Indiana Jones. And yeah, it's, it's like a fun summer romp, like big movie in the way it's featured in it, it kind of gives that song a, a, a hold in like how it could integrate into like your lived experience in a way that like a different random 80s throwback song like might might get popular via like the algorithms the way that let's say um you know the 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 kind of weird pavement b-sides that like all of a sudden get put on the right playlist chart like they can fit into a sound and you could imagine like some a song hitting like low level chart play because it like 
got some sort of like algorithmic traction but this is a very different thing right that there's like a context for this but i mean yeah like i was gonna say it kind of go it kind of i would agree with that and i think it also kind of goes both ways in the sense that you know on tiktok it's really just the user pulling out these songs pulling out random songs and like make and like creating some sort of content around that songs recontextualizing as you see and then you know it taking off and becoming popular and like one very like simple basic reason for that is just like the accessibility to music now and how easy it is to just like go and like stream something which also plays a major role in the popularity of this song in the sense that you know you were mentioning to me and not to steal your point so i'll go ahead and let you talk more about it but like you know when wayne's world made bohemian rhapsody by queen more popular like people could go and like to the record store and like buy that album again or buy the Wayne's World soundtrack, right? Making that popular. But they have to actually go and like buy the physical commodity. While now it's like, well, you know, you just fire up your streaming service and you can like immediately put it on a playlist and listen to it ad nauseum. Yeah. And I do think that, that that's a really interesting part about like the ways in which the digital musical economy and the way that money's paid out from it interacts with listening habits in a new way right like so you know the like a famous example um from the kind of like 80s in terms of like a soundtrack doing big numbers for various artists is the big chill soundtrack right which is uh i've actually never seen the movie but like it's i know the soundtrack is like killer because it was in every single one of my like parents my friends parents cars it's like filled with motown classics like absolute bangers right and so like clearly that sold a lot of records but if it kick-started a broader go back to my 45s or go back to my like miracles lps and listen to them some more the miracles didn't make any more money from that maybe people went out and bought new copies but like if it shifts broader listening habits it's often kind of like there's another layer of mediation there right maybe people will go buy new records maybe new bands will come out and like sound like the 80s but it's not like a direct because you what you listen to in the privacy of your home in the lp era is entirely at some level like once you own the records outside of the market there's no way to track that whereas changes now if all of a sudden a song you own or a song you know if, if your listening habits change artists see direct payout from that and like you're saying like the difference between the kind of like uh the inertial hump to go to a store and buy a copy of bohemian rhapsody which i think actually went back to number one on the charts after wayne's world that inertial hump is much lower we're like oh i heard this song oh it's now on a playlist oh i actually want to listen to it but that all of those plays are counted exactly the same way that plays for the new drake album are being counted and so in in a weird way it like in i think there used to be like a structural differentiation between new music purchases and repeat music listening and clearly that's no longer true in a way that at one level i think does support this kind of like time warp like you know uh retromania like everything old is new again flattening of temporal horizons but also maybe more accurately catches the way that people were always listening to music and always enjoying music right that they were always listening to bangers from five years ago they just bought those bangers five years ago and then listened to them you know right like the the the, yeah. the, the tape that you had in your car all the time 
<laughs> the record industry didn't get a, a, a mechanical royalty every time you played it in your car, even though you played it in your car 10,000 times. And really, like, you could play a car. If you had, like, four tapes in a car, you could play it 10,000 times. Four tapes? <laughs> what are those, like, six CD changers or whatever? Remember those? And then, and then you had, like, that, like, that like CD visor, like, thing. And they, of course, would just, like, burn your CDs and, like, that ruin them but that, that was weird no i think also though thinking about like the mediation of it it's like also just the the soundtrack like the album the soundtrack has like an album like you said bohemian rhapsody charted again but it's like did the wayne's world soundtrack chart you know and like that's kind of a thing where like i guess there's probably still soundtracks out there but i mean it's definitely like that's kind oh, of that's like a, a dead format in a sense it says or like a you know because it's like why why would you go get a soundtrack when you could just go pull the i don't know maybe this is a bad point but i'm just saying like you know no no no, no. and i think those 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 they they count differently i think that like yeah. the way a soundtrack functions i mean pe- things are released on a soundtrack but it used to be that a soundtrack was a specific physical release that you would go and buy and now you stream the songs off a soundtrack if it's released online and maybe you listen to the whole thing but like there were always a couple of weird tracks on a soundtrack that got purchased from the rest of the soundtrack and now i bet like you listen to the top seven songs and maybe you don't listen to like <laughs> the scenery music or that song that was like you know those weird songs that were like featured on the soundtrack but didn't appear in the movie but it's but it's yeah oh yeah that too yeah whatever that means but that is interesting too because in a sense like also and we don't need to go down this pathway too far but just it's interesting because if you think about the soundtrack as like an album in a weird way it does sort of emulate as like a proto version of like the playlist because i remember like the the pulp fiction like soundtrack being like super popular and that's essentially like a 14 song playlist that like quentin tarantino put together (laughs) you know and obviously he's like pairing like moving images of the music and there's obviously like a lot of connections to that and everything but like it it is interesting how it it actually how many people were actually going out and like buying like whatever album bohemian rhapsody is on by queen and just and how many people were actually just going and buying like the the wayne's world soundtrack which is which is you know just when you're speaking about like layers of mediation that seems like almost like another layer of mediation sure you know even like within the actual physical commodity but yeah i kind of wanted to go back to to a point about like uh i think you you called it like flattening of temporal horizons i think is what you what you said (laughs) sounds like me (laughs) yeah and i mean it's 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 interesting that like something that we've actually brought up i think probably in the last two episodes i know we definitely talked about it briefly with chal and um in our last episode there is some there is something interesting about the like impact it has on I guess culture in a sense and maybe some of the things that we talked about when it comes to ideas of the underground and I know in the last episode we talked a little bit about how there was kind of a period that was in step with like changing technologies and the rise of like the MP3 and then of course like the major labels kind of struggling a little bit and then the rise of streaming where it did feel like there was a certain like gobbling up of a certain level of like underground music <laughs> and mm-hmm. and uh, you know the it does feel like there's something something like that happening with this in the sense and like let's be clear like running up that hill was a hit in the UK in the 80s it was like remixed for the olympics in 2012 so this isn't like some like deep like underground like Athens, Georgia, circa 1985, like, you know, like, random hit. They're, like, only, like, real heads. No. I mean, like, this... Love Tractor. (laughs) Straight Things Season 5, Love Tractor. (laughs) Like, yeah. So, I mean, like, let's be clear. It's not that. But... There is a You're for, mad for me that for, they commoditized your sacred yeah, little yeah, yeah. Kate Bush there is, well, there, and just but, out with it. 
But there has been, like, I think some lamenting in some corners sure. of the internet and probably uh, Brooklyn dive bars about all these people who are suddenly discovering Kate Bush and maybe being kind of annoyed about it and, you know, wanting to, like, Whoa, uh, feel, feeling as if, you know, some uh, somehow fe- feeling a little bit wronged in the sense that, like, somehow, like, pop culture has, like, gobbled up, like, something that was, like, secret and sacred to them, you know, and that's whatever, elitist bullshit or whatever. But I, I, I did, I, I was reading this, uh, this article by uh, Lindsay Zolans of, uh, in, in book forum recently, and it's actually about baseball. And um, it's she wrote this thing about she was kind of comparing baseball fandom to religion. Uh, she had this great line about people who didn't grow up baseball fans, but kind of came to it like a little bit later in life. And uh, I, I don't know, I just felt like it really sort of accurately kind of encapsulates this sort of feeling, which maybe some of us have, including myself, where there's like this sort of sense of a kind of annoyance that suddenly this song is like coming back and all these people who have like never heard about it before like suddenly are like into it. But like also knowing that like that annoyance is just like elitist bullshit and kind of stupid as well. And But uh, I, I just wanted to go ahead and like read from the quote because I thought it was so great. So she writes, another way that sports fandom is like religion yeah. is that people who convert later in life are the most annoying about it. Vocal and overzealous to make up for all the lost time they spent ig- ignorantly sinning. Take it from me. While I did not become a born-again Christian, I did convert to something much worse in the eyes of the people I grew up with. Anyway, so she goes on to talk about, like, becoming uh, a Mets fan after being a Phillies fan. But, like, I just said that was, like... <laughs> yeah. But, but I just said that was so interesting. It's, like, yeah. it's like kind of true about this idea that, like, like, when you're so dedicated to something and, like, so into something and then, it, it, like, all of a sudden, like, people kind of come out of left field and are, like, just as exciting about it. Like, what what is that sense of feeling that you're, like, of annoyance? And, like, because, like, there's, like, like where have you been? Like, we've always been into this, you know, sh- you know, whatever. And it's, like, it is kind of, like, elitist bullshit. But I think there is something about, like, which we kind of mentioned in the last, like, episode about sort of creating, like, a sense of community or a sense of identity around, like, kind of gatekeeper bullshit in a sense and and like I don't know I I don't know what the I don't know with the flattening the te- temporal space of horizons or whatever you said with the flattening of that it, you know it it is weird where it does seem like every like there is no underground or like anything could be gobbled up by like this sort of capitalist machine of like you know or flattened social media like online like culture and it kind of it, it does feel like there is no space that you can kind of carve out and just kind of like do your own thing without it being like, I guess maybe exploited is like a little bit of strong of a word, but how like it just doesn't seem to be like spotlighted and then like blasted out into greater pop culture. Right. All of a sudden, like this thing in which like maybe you put a lot of dedication to or paid a lot of attention to, or like we're like really passionate about with just you and a few of your friends and like kind of became this whole like, connective social tissue amongst your friends even if it's just about like listening to music <laughs> you know like it really it, it, like that social connective tissue like is real in a sense and i think that while the the lamentation over like <laughs> this kind of stuff getting gobbled up by pop culture and like basically like you said like a, a stupid summer blockbuster like uh movie slash tv show there is something to that you know and i'm just kind of i don't know it, it is interesting and i do think that the one thing I will say is that there does seem to be a sort of, and I don't know how much this really relates to like the Kate Bush thing, but there does seem to be a sort of disappearance of like local locality 
and like th- stuff that like is really like unique to say a city or a place or like a scene because it's just like everything's just blasted out into like you know this sort of plane of like pop culture and i think that it, you could you can see that when it comes to say like fashion you know as well and you can see it when it comes to even like even things like like architecture as well <laughs> and then things like this and like and the way that people like decorate their houses and everything it's just like it's like all becoming like it feels like very like uh homogenous which is like i think really really fascinating no 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 i think that's a really good that's a really good point i mean to bring it like back from like galaxy brain a little bit back to the kate the kate bush of it all is i mean i do think that that at one level if you want to think about the the feeling that that people i think do have and i think gatekeepy bullshit but also like the 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 kernel the the true kernel of that right is that it's complicated because at one level the reason that people can have a connective tissue of friendship around these things is because there we have a culture in which we construct identities through consumer choices and we make consumer choices based on for-profit commodities right Running up that hill was always a for-profit commodity. It was always a product of the music industry. Now, it's a very like personal, intense, emotional one because these commodities can in fact carry those kinds of meanings and charges. But it was like it was always a thing that you could go to a store and buy for 9.99 or however much the the Hounds of Love album was when it was released. But at the same time, partially because I think of like time and partially because i think of kind of almost uh exactly the the, the energy that people put into this this non non commodified energy that people put into this stuff they have people do construct life worlds around these commodities and so when they're rudely reminded (laughs) of the fact that these goods are at at one level more than commodities and at another level just commodities that the system can do with them the system that created them can do with them what it will it is upsetting but also i mean i think there is another thing i want to point to about about this idea of flattening which is that i think right there is that's that's been true always right but i do think the the lack of friction in this moment is new that i my sense is that like when your little scene blew up, sometimes it would happen really, really quickly. But even that really, really quickly was like six months to a year. And that human beings, like there's always people who are like, oh, I like, you know, grunge when it was just a Seattle thing. But like there aren't that many of them. And, and the social movement changes and the scenes change around them. And like, but like it it occurred at a more still quicker still very quick but at a more human scale and i think that there is this the the rate of change that social phenomena the rate of change that social phenomena have now is really radical and especially when the process of building meaning for certain people has been this long slow process watching other people all of a sudden develop an incredibly and they claim equally meaningful relationship to a like cultural commodity, but like in three days and not like because there's a, a new kid who just went to a punk scene and now punk is his life or her life, but like a massive global hit of people who have found this song incredibly meaningful because of what some fictionalized characters do. It like, it, it's more, it's complex. And I think that that, that rate of change is, is new and 
is hard for people to deal with. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think the first part of, the, of you know, your response there that you were talking about, that sort of tension with the fact that um, it's <laughs> defining one's identity through their own consumption is, like, kind of a point of tension. And yet, like, the relationships or the scenes that get created or whatever the social or whatever happens like around like say something like music and that consumption which is like not commodified is like really kind of i think interesting where like is an interesting tension that that you know i i was kind of like sitting in the middle of with all this stuff and i think a lot i think a lot of other people are as well but but i will say to be the maybe play the devil's advocate is that in this flattened world if i have to walk into every single like taco shop slash like uh vintage clothing store and hear basically the same algorithmic fucking spotify lists playlists that are always playing then you know rather i'd hear you know better that i hear fucking kate bush is running up that hill than i don't know fucking blues traveler or like imagine dragons which is the millennials version of fucking blues traveler basically so <laughs> so i'll take it and also you know kate bush's house is falling into the ocean so maybe this you know extra bump in uh in in income will help her uh, fix her house so maybe just to wrap things up um i just want to point out that when kate bush had her first hit withering heights it brought wither the book withering heights back to the bestseller list yeah yeah that's that's great so like yeah so in, in a sense there's absolutely nothing new about what's happening it's nothing new baby <laughs> the eternal return but how about that big boy kate bush collaboration when's that gonna drop Dude, someday someday <laughs> one thing i just did want to think about right and maybe before before we like fully finish this as we try to like if we accept all this stuff that we've been talking about as kind of a new given, right? And this is the landscape of music now. There's also a question about like, okay, if that's like the macro landscape description, like what can we start to see as like potential, like more micro dynamics that help allow these kind of things to happen? Because if we live in this world, these like micro, but still very large dynamics are going to help like determine what kind of music we listen to and 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 i think right i could be wrong and and, like feel free to totally push back on this you know the 80s have been coming back for like 15 years there's never been a time in my adult life where the 80s are not coming back in one form or another but but i will say that i think that recently there's been like a more sophisticated more specialized more like pinpoint accuracy take on the 80s and and here I'm, I'm really thinking about like the weekend's last album which was like the weekend had been doing like the 80s for like three albums and then in this one he's like no no no, he's doing a 1986 isley brothers six eight shuffle in this song right like the sense that that some of these folks are really doing the 80s with like a new level of, of fidelity and like i guess are almost like instead of like painting with really broad brushstrokes major pop artists are like dealing with these sounds and colors in like very specific ways. And I wonder if that allowed a song like this to fit more easily into people's playlists and listening habits than it would have three years ago. Like, I feel like the ability of a song driven by like that kind of like 
kind of spare distorted drum beat and these like really big <laughs> synths like even three years ago i don't know if the pop landscape would have allowed that forget the rest of the streaming infrastructure forget everything else all other things being equal like it sounds more like it's to me at least like sounds more like certain things that are happening in like modern big budget pop than it would have previously and so like i think in a weird way that might be part of the story and it might be part of the stories that we get going forward like the currents of now connecting with currents of then in interesting ways hmm yeah maybe i mean i think obviously the incorporation of synths into pop music has been going on for like quite a while at this point now like and and but i think it does i think the more maybe but maybe but maybe the more interesting point is that the fact that like this is also also related to this sort of flattening uh and that the fact that there really is no sound of today or <laughs> whatever you want to say you know i mean it's kind of like i mean not to mention that there's just like so much different kinds of music out there and so many different kinds of genres and then micro genres and everything but i mean like the the 80s sound is like just as much like now like a sound of today as well in a sense because everything's just kind of like a mishmash of like the you know if you really want to talk about temple temporal horizons i mean like you could fit a kate bush song into like today's world and like everybody just accepts it and nobody flinches and nobody says like man this sounds like fucking retro and like yeah maybe it's because of the fact that you're saying that like there's just been like this kind of bringing back of the 80s in the last 15 years or maybe it's because of the fact that like there is just no sound of today and it's just anything goes so, so i guess i'm not i'm not saying like the 80s right that that's that's what i'm pushing back against right i'm saying like people have been bringing back the 80s but like that's a huge amorphous thing that could mean a million different things sure. i'm saying like it seems to me that in recent years there's been a very more um like disciplined use of 80s source materials by major artists such that more than like will m83 vaguely sounds like the 80s but like actually if you put an m83 song and then this kate bush song next to each other like you couldn't go back to back with them but like i feel like new like artists have been doing like more uh produce music with more fidelity to those sounds such that this song fits in better with them. But maybe, maybe that's, maybe I mean, that's yeah, no, it's possible. But I, I think, I think my point still stands in the sense that it's just like, there is no sound of like today, you know, it's just like constantly like looking back and then like incorporating it into like modern sounds and technologies. And it's just a, kind of like a big mishmash of like everything. Like, I can't really think of a sound that like, other than like, I don't know. It'd be weird for me if swing music came back, but I could see it happening. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, ska, (laughs) certainly like ska punk hasn't fucking died. That keeps coming back. I mean, I don't know, man. It just seems, I mean, I I mean, we're going to go, we're going to do an outro with a little like TikTok sound and like that whole like screamo emo, like My Chemical Romance sound still fucking got legs. So I don't know, man. It's, it just sounds like everything's back and nothing left. (laughs) Well, dude, a progressive vision of historical development is what got us in this mess in the first place. Exactly. And on that note, listen to Devo. Um, you can go ahead and rate and review us. Uh, please rate and review us. Follow us on MFRN podcast. Subscribe to our newsletter, moneyfornothing.substack. You can email us at moneyfornothingpodcast at gmail. Bye. So I feel like I can properly do this now.